Hi, I'm Michael. Welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about Groundhog Day, and I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Salutations. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. Editor Alex Calleros. Hi. Trisha, you were the one that brought up Groundhog Day and suggested we do it. Why did you want to talk about Groundhog Day? Well, in fairness, I was not the first person to bring up Groundhog Day. You've been getting requests for Groundhog Day, and it is one of the most discussed and analyzed screenplays ever. Of all time. Yeah. There's a specific person on Twitter that for three years now has sent me a tweet on Groundhog Day being like, Groundhog Day video today? And last year, I was like, you need to tell me before (laughs) the day. I can't just make the video happen. But he was excited this year to see that we did it. I mean, it's such a delight. And it is a movie that people come back to over and over and over again. Not just because it's a holiday every year, so you are going to remember that it's happening and that the movie happens. But it's just... It's just so joyful, uh, the experience of watching it. Actually, last year, I and some friends watched it on Groundhog Day, which was the first time we'd ever done that. Like, <laughs> let's just download it and watch it on Groundhog Day. And it's it's just so good. It, it encapsulates so many insane things about, like, holiday, the holiday and, like, just American holidays, which is totally bonkers. It's, it's it's a pretty strange holiday. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's I, the most. It's the most. Just kind of like, how did this even begin? Yeah. What's like the weird? Yeah. Like pilgrim origin story of this. <laughs> like, yeah. It, exactly. it also surprised yeah. me on the on the uh, the YouTube comments how many people were like, "Why is everyone? Why is so many po- people posting about Groundhog Day today?" And it's like. Because it's Groundhog Day. And I realized, like, oh, I guess in the other parts of the world, like, they don't know that's a real holiday. Like, right. Totally. Because well, it really shouldn't be. Yeah. Hol- holiday with right. a lowercase h. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. You don't get work off. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I was teaching uh, adult students English. So I was teaching mostly Chinese adults to speak English. And so sort of half of what I was teaching was English. Half of it was American culture. And so we would do every holiday in the most classic, like, kid status third grade (laughs) version of the holiday so we like carved a pumpkin on halloween and everything and so on groundhog day we like watched the movie groundhog day and i was trying to explain it and i was like i don't i don't know we have this animal and also trying to explain what the hell a groundhog is anyway right it's it's (laughs) something you can't really explain well so and then also from you know, a storytelling perspective, besides just being a joyful, amazing movie with a ridiculous holiday. Just talk about how weird the holiday is for an hour. <laughs> besides watching it on Groundhog Day. Right, right. right. Um, yeah, I feel like, Trisha, you really want to talk about premise. I feel like that was the thing that really resonated with you. Well, I really can't think of a better example of how to, of a movie that better fully exploits this fascinating premise. Because I feel like I see a lot of films that um, they have like one really interesting idea and then they don't push it or explore it. And yeah, they just like lose some of the opportunities that they could have had by like forcing their characters to go through something that this idea would imply or would naturally lead to. And Groundhog Day is truly like, it's one simple revolutionary idea and it's just pushed all the way to its outer limits in 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 such a way that is perfectly tailored to what the character has to go through in that movie. In terms of like talking about exploiting a premise, which was what I wanted 
the title of that video to be. <laughs> and then actually the word exploiting the premise never even made it into the video. But like in, in terms of exploiting premise, there really is no better example. And so that was one thing I really I felt would be super useful to sort of get into. Yeah, absolutely. Well, And I think the thing I, I think sort of I feel like in the video we convey what, you know, exploiting a premise can mean and, and what you were saying of how other films don't mm -hmm. do it. I think uh, what clicked for me when we were talking is that, like you said, it is such a simple idea mm -hmm. and it shows that a film can just be a simple idea. But if you mine that idea for everything, it has everything you need for a story. So rather than letting go at some point and letting Phil Connors like, oh, well, he kind of broke the cycle, which, which right. I feel like Edge of Tomorrow kind of does. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's the one disappointing part of Edge of Tomorrow for me anyway, since we're talking about repeating day movies, is that the third act feels like it kind of like cheats, like it changes a little bit. And it's like, it's not quite the same rule set. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Groundhog Day really sticks to its rules and allows the character to just go all the way in that world. Totally. The one thing that you really want from an idea like that is for everything else to feel true to life. So it's like the the movie, it has this impossible premise. It can never happen. Obviously, that could never happen to anyone ever. But that's the only crazy thing that happens. Right. And so it helps to keep the movie focused on like what are what are the implications of this one thing? And it doesn't muddy it with all of this other like, and then this other crazy thing and this other magical or whatever like uh, thing happens. And so, yeah, I just feel like it's the power of one really good idea and then staying focused on that one really good idea instead of trying to introduce a bunch of new ideas or like a bunch of new rules where... are complicating it exactly. yeah, unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people have said this it's never explained why. Right. There yeah, could you don't have, been have whole... the gods looking down on him saying yeah. like, well, oh, if he changes, then we'll let him go. Like you a, know, that a, kind of... a wonderful life kind of a right. angel <laughs> premise. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, there could have been a version of it where they worried about, oh, we have to explain this ultimately. And then it would have been a weird subplot of like, you know, explaining the mystery behind his paradoxic, you know, time travel mm -hmm. thing happening, uh, which would totally be beside the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a draft, wasn't there? Where they explained it? I don't know, Trisha. You wrote the video. Tell us. <laughs> yeah, because well, I, I feel I, like you I, said that. I've always heard that there was a version of it that was kind of less um, profound. That was that was less of this like almost spiritual kind of transformative story, and was more just kind of goofy or weird. And they kind of made a choice at some point to push it this direction. Am yeah. I right about that? Yeah. I mean, well, you don't want to focus on the mechanism. So actually, from what I've read, Danny Rubin came up with this idea and he didn't want to explain it. Um, he purposefully wanted it to be like, mm. you never know why. It doesn't matter why. Because truthfully, it doesn't matter why. Right. And I think even in one of the special features, he talks about how in his first draft before uh, Harold Ramis came on, it like started in the middle where it was already yeah. in the midst of, you know, Bill Murray, like reliving this day. And he mm. was very much like, I don't want to lose that. Like, I don't want to just be a normal movie that has a normal introduction. And then one of the producers was like, well, why don't we just try it and see what happens? And then it, you know, it worked out pretty well. Right. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. My understanding is that Danny Rubin wanted it to be this totally unexplained phenomenon. Harold Ramis came on board. They ended up doing, you know, going to like a studio and and they the studio did want an explanation. It would have been a while ago, but I think I did read a draft or read. I mean, Danny Rubin has done <laughs> has done 1000 interviews and articles <laughs> about Groundhog Day. Like he which is awesome that 
you know, one of the most analyzed, discussed screenplays of all time is actually highly accessible Mm -hmm. in how it was written, how it came about. Um, He wrote a book that we quote in the video called How How to to Write write Groundhog Groundhog Day. Day. Uh, (laughs) Very specific lesson. Incredibly (laughs) useful. So there's that part. Um, But I do think there was a point at which they were like, uh, yeah, it was a curse from an ex-girlfriend. And then the minute someone said that, they were like, never mind. Like, uh, we've tried it. (laughs) Right. Because I like it when films can just like embrace their what if question. Like it's a movie. It's a story. This is a story about what if this happened? Go. And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, as soon as you have an explanation like that. It just begs more questions of like, well, what happened with the ex-girlfriend? How is she able to do that? Right. Completely. Is she a witch? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like removes the focus from, you know, the story. And I feel like, you know, fairy tales are based on, you know, random things that don't, you know, there's magic all the time. Like magic's fine. If you, I think like you were saying, Trisha, like just have the one magic element and then it's about watching real human characters reacting to that situation mm-hmm. yeah groundhog day is good <laughs> well i mean one Thanks of the for things listening we'll see you next <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it's 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 a there's not much controversy around this movie because it is so universally loved yeah. i don't know how you can not love this movie you have to be a really i don't know a bad person because <laughs> it i i really feel like um I've I've heard people say before that it's it's a Buddhist movie. It's actually yeah. a deeply it kind of almost rooted in Buddhist philosophy in some ways because it's about you know Phil Connors starts off in the most you know egocentric, identified with his sm- his small self, his his just annoyed ego where everything is wrong all the time, and it's basically him yeah having to live a bunch of different lifetimes and become enlightened basically by the end and it's it's he tries to try everything as you go through in the video michael he tries everything to not be enlightened until ultimately it's like actually the only thing that really makes me lastingly happy is just being of service to others and seeing them be happy and for that reason i think it it's a movie that you can't help but be really moved by because it's it's super profound in this really kind of fun funny bill murray package so it's really special that way. I don't know of many movies that do both of those things. It's such, such clever writing, but also so deeply profound. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the reason for that is a lack of explanation as to like why that, why he's stuck in this loop. And it almost elevates it to like a fable, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. Or some kind of like, it's almost like a pilgrim's progress, you know, kind of journey that that's just straight allegory. Um, right. And yes. Yeah. It's a really beautiful article, but it was an interview with Danny Rubin, who we can talk about. Uh, <laughs> and the article was saying that the, about the spiritual aspects of the interpretation and, and talking about how Phil is only released when he learns to bless this day. This sort of like spiritual idea of blessing the day that he's living instead of resenting the day that he is living Mm. Um, or feeling like it is in some way plaguing him. And actually Andy McDowell's character, Rita, says that in the movie. She says like maybe it isn't a curse. It's all all on how you look at it kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Maybe it is a a blessing. Um, And when Phil is able to sort of arrive at that place is when he is released, which again is incredibly spiritual. Yeah, (laughs) right. There's also like if we if I could take like a weird uh, philosophical detour here, Nietzsche has this uh, concept eternal recurrence, uh, which I learned about in college in one of my philosophy courses. And 
uh, he says, like, imagine a demon slinked to you in your loneliness and said that this life you would have to you would have to live over and over again. Uh, all the choices that you make, you would have to basically watch yourself make over and over. So it's it's not like Groundhog Day where he chooses what he's doing, but it's basically saying like, how would you live your life differently if everything you did, you would have to watch yourself do over and over again, you know? Um, and uh, I know it's really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and if I could get a little more heavy for a second. Please. Um, there's the, uh, the movie Lost Highway by David Lynch. Anyone see it? It's uh, on my lot, list. A lot of people didn't see it. It's yeah. on my list. And I'm going to spoil the ending because it's a David Lynch movie and having the ending spoiled does not mean you're going to understand the movie sure, yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, at the beginning, Bill Pullman, uh, he wakes up, he hears the door buzzer and he hits like the intercom and uh, someone says, Dick Laurent is dead. And then throughout the course of the movie, he makes certain choices and he's not the best person in the world and blah, blah, blah. And at the end, he's driving away from the police and he gets out of the car and he runs up to the intercom and he says, Dick Laurent is dead. And then he drives away. So it's like, it's like a weird, like one off Groundhog mm, Day where you're yeah. like, well, it, it, what happens next? You know, does he just do this forever? Um, but the thing that it really reminded me of, and I'm going to get a little more dark and deep for a second, is this short story by Neil Gaiman called Other People, where a man walks into a room and he realized he knows right away it's hell and that the person standing at the other end of the room is a demon. The, the thing standing at the other end of the room is a demon. Whoa. And the demon starts torturing him. And then he has to relive his entire life. They have to go through every single moment of his life. And he has to admit all these things that he did wrong. And then he has to do it all again. And then when he does it again, he's like, it was even worse the second time because I knew what I'm talking about was wrong. Like he was for it. And he had to do it again and again and again until he's completely destroyed. Thousands oh. of years go by. And then he wakes up when he's finally like opened his heart and he's finally like made a change. And then he wakes up and the demon's gone. But then he sees this man walk into the room and he realizes, oh, I'm the demon now. And he has to then. So, yeah, so that's where my head went thinking about Groundhog Day. <laughs> that reminds me of there's a book called Some. I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's, it's kind of like a series of short stories almost. Um, but it's kind of like different visions of what the afterlife could be. Mm. And one of them uh, is called Some. And it's basically like, you know, what if in the afterlife you had to experience everything you've ever done, but like it's grouped by categories. So like you spend 10 years brushing your teeth oh or like you spend God. like 45 minutes like crying about that one episode of TV show or like whatever it is. It's the like, one where Will Smith's dad comes back and then. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> And so it just it's uh, what you were talking about reminded me of that, of, of an interesting version of it, it's interesting that we, you know, with stories like Groundhog Day and all these other, you know, kind of fables, like you said, Trisha, yeah. that we're connected to that there's just the interesting visions of the spirituality of how to different ways of experiencing life mm -hmm. that we yeah. imagine and, and watching people deal with that is always a really fascinating story well, premise. Yeah, well, it's Dickensian. Uh, you know, it's it's very like a Christmas carol kind of thing, you know, which also Bill Murray, you can watch him in Scrooge. Too. I know, people in the YouTube the comments time. were like, oh, this is the modern Christmas carol. I'm like, you know, Bill Murray was in a modern <laughs> version of a Christmas carol, right? He actually did do that. Yeah. Um, yeah but no, it, it does feel like a holiday movie for that reason. You know, not because mm -hmm. not Groundhog Day is a holiday, but more like a Christmas holiday movie because of that scrooge transformative aspect yeah. mm -hmm. and i feel like that's one of the things i'm so impressed with rewatching the movie is just bill murray's performance because oh he i feel like he almost physically changes you know as the movie progresses and just the way his energy is on screen and then i was thinking about it, i'm like oh but they had to film all these scenes you know all the yeah. groundhog day festival scenes were all the same probably shoot day right right but you see him through this entire journey in that setting so he has to be 
kind of keeping track of all these different stages of his development like what the heck and it, <laughs> and it works like yeah. he, it's super impressive. I, I i never i'm never not tracking his evolution right every interaction with ned ryerson on the side right. yeah. was shot back to back to back right, to back. right. Yeah. and i was thinking what an interesting thing for an actor too is that bill murray is playing this he's playing the same scene over and over again with the knowledge of the previous scenes whereas steven tobolowski is you know he, right. in his world he's seeing <laughs> phil for the first time in 10 years every single time and mm-hmm. it's not like it's a dramatic performance or anything like that but it's like it's a. It's got to be a weird thing as an actor to do to both be playing like different versions of something. Stephen Tobolowski is amazing in this movie. Like- <laughs> also, for as much as I never thought like a sort of slapstick moment would be my favorite part of the movie, the punch oh is amazing. God. He does the full three sixty turn to the camera. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so funny. It's so good. Is it Ned Ryerson? The character uh-huh. is just like so well rendered and realized by Stephen Tobolowski, and what a what a delight like just... it feels like a classic movie performance you know yeah. almost like a, like a timeless oh you know. my gosh and he is he's just a supporting character and in the original draft of the video uh i wanted to talk about how it's important to keep phil around the supporting characters because they serve as markers to help us track phil's journey mm-hmm. and ned ryerson especially does that yeah right um where it's like he he goes from like being incredibly rude to him and wanting to get away from him to punching him in the face. And then by the end of the movie, they're both affirming, like, this is the best day of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so beautiful. But it's Ned Ryerson and some of these other, like, even, um, what's the name of the the waitress in the diner? But even her, like, she goes on this journey with us. And, like, we are following that scene in the diner where he's taking Rita around and he's saying yeah. this is this person everyone. this is this person and mm-hmm. Michael Shannon is there <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Michael Shannon Michael Shannon baby baby Michael Shannon yeah. it's that beautiful scene where you know these characters feel known to Phil even though they don't know Phil but Phil knows them right and, and so we are put in that space with Phil of it's so endearing like mm-hmm. we start to love Punxsutawney the more that Phil loves it, the more that Phil is like, yeah, falling for this town full of people. Yeah, right, we, we really are with him through the whole journey because yeah. I'm with him at the beginning. I'm like, this is kind of an annoying festival. <laughs> like, right. The Pennsylvania I polka. I don't identify with this music or They're these hicks, people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by the end, I am like genuinely charmed by everything. So. Well, it kind of reminds me of No Country for Old Men uh, and how the, uh, <laughs> really <laughs> those two movies, everyone. <laughs> yep. The DVD double pack at Walmart. Is yeah. Always... <laughs> reminds me of No Country for Old Men, comma in that <laughs> the the supporting characters, even though they don't have much screen time, they feel so fully rendered and yeah. they feel three dimensional. And you just like get them immediately, and they. Sorry, sorry, Doris. Yeah. Doris, <laughs> yes, that, that's the. the that's the waitress in the name. diner. Trisha Doris, Freeze. Oh, yeah, <laughs> very excited. But yeah, like even like the drunks at the bar, like they're only in a few scenes, but you feel like you really understand them, and like they've kind of changed by then. Like I, I think it's it's a this movie's just good at everything, but I think right. particularly yeah. I'm struck by how using these supporting characters can help you know like you were saying alex make us care and like invest in the world and like you were saying trisha has markers to show his journey and uh yeah just make the world feel more lived in and believable and just enhances everything 
but it just feels like there's a lot of love put into all the characters. Mm, you know, yeah. none of them are throwaway yeah. one-dimensional BS characters. Like they all feel like fully loved characters by right. the creators who want to make them something special. Yeah. Absolutely. And then ultimately loved by Phil. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, there are a ton of estimates about how long Phil spends <laughs> in Punks, how many Oh, I love that thousands stuff. Thousands of yeah. years yeah. that Phil spends that. in Punxsutawney. But, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter exactly how long. It's long enough to know every inch of sidewalk and every person. Like, when he does go around that diner and he's just like, I've gotten to know this person. I spent a day with this person probably or several or, or whatever. And, and that's one of the smartest things about the writing because it – it's so contained. And when Danny Rubin set out to write a movie about immortality, one of the smartest things he ever could have done was make it contained. Right. Yeah. He's not going to go visit Egypt or, you know, right. do all these crazy adventures. It's like, no, he's going to just get to know this very tiny place. Well, in the book, yeah, yeah he was talking about that. Like yeah. He wanted to... to do a story about someone that lived an eternity to see if they would change. But eternity means like, well, so is he like visiting the French revolution and like, what's yeah. how is that? That's pyramids, like, <laughs> right. et cetera. And so that's, yeah, the spark of the idea was the like, it's eternity, but it's just the same day over and over again. So yeah. It in contained. one place. Yeah. yeah. Right. He can't, get, he can't get out. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not a big place. You know, I think, I think that's right. what makes it interesting too, is that they limit the premise where even if he does, even if he says, I'm going to go have the most hedonistic, like do whatever I want kind of day. And I'm just going to do that Not too much to do. And, yeah. and I'm just going to do that every day forever. He's going to get bored of that too. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's like you basically put him in a place where it might take 10,000 years, but he's going to eventually have nothing to do, but become right. a good person. Yeah. Well, and Trisha, I think that's one of the things you mentioned when you were talking about the, you know, originally pitching the idea is that it's, it's a, a contained place that's like specifically designed to be like, the worst place for Phil right. and also right. then the best place for Phil to yeah. undergo his character change. It, yes, exactly that. And it feels like you don't want to um, give your character, you don't want to give your character too much space. And, and that's exactly what we've all been talking about. But um, if Phil had the potential um, cause you know, he arrives at this point where he's like, I'm all powerful. I'm a God. <laughs> and in some ways he is, cause he knows exactly what's going to happen and he knows everything about everybody, but only in this tiny, you know, square block or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is what again, makes the story so compelling is that we all understand that about Phil, like our tiny lives <laughs> that are, that we get to know these people in our tiny lives and and over and over and over again do much of the same things every day um isn't the vr game there's a vr game that's coming out apparently i've avoided the trailer because i don't like the idea of anyone making any kind of sequel to groundhog day yeah I've wait seen... so it's a sequel it's yeah. a sequel it's like vr game about where you play as phil's son i mean i'm kind of intrigued by that i mean why not it's I mean, a VR game. It's not gonna, they're making a movie sequel. Yeah. That sounds could, cool. Yeah, it could be interesting if it becomes then about putting you in the shoes of Phil, or in right. this case, Phil's son, who I think his name in the game is Phil Connors Jr., which oh just <laughs> the eye rolls around this table are just <laughs> intense. But you are playing as Phil Connors Jr. and you're trying to escape, essentially. Or But the, the thing that's so brilliant about Groundhog Day is because we don't know what will ever free Phil, like and Phil doesn't know what will ever free Phil. Mm. It's it becomes this open ended game in a way where it's like seems like nothing will ever get me out of this, and I'm just gonna try random stuff 
until something changes, mm-hmm. basically. That is a cool premise for a game. That is cool. Yeah. I'm warming to it. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually what the game is. <laughs> that's my idea for the game. Well, I was thinking about what we were saying earlier about we don't really know how much time has passed. And I, I think that's another brilliant aspect of the screenwriting is like, it's so epic, actually. Like, mm. it's such a, you know, visually and theoretically, it's a very small premise, very contained and very quaint. But it's implied very clearly in the dialogue and what he knows about the town and how he can predict every little thing happening that he's been doing this for like thousands of years, maybe, (laughs) which is like super epic and almost like a sci-fi mind blowing idea. Mm -hmm. So it's just I'm continually amazed by how this movie is so um, it has such a like a small package. It looks it looks very quaint and simple, but it's actually buried inside of it is like kind of mind blowing stuff. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, you, there's so much you can talk about, you know, like my girlfriend brought up the very dark question of if he, you know, tries something with Rita and gets slapped in the face, does he then go jump off a bridge or does he like yeah. use the rest of his evening? You know? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So like, and I was like, I would hope he would just be efficient. He'd go practice piano or then go to sleep <laughs> and wake up the next right. day and try again. But it's like, yeah, you can think about all this stuff. Also, there's the other, um, the weird idea of he doesn't know that any day might not be yeah. The la- like he might do something awful, you know, which it's a PG 13 movie. You don't get like, you don't really seem to do anything too bad, but like he might do something <laughs> really terrible. And then the next day, February 3rd, got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I started, I was like, like was talking about it. And then we we're just like, Oh yeah, we could write like a really dark version <laughs> oh, of this yeah. where like, like he either survives if he lives his best day or his worst day. Oh, and, no, then, right. and then he wakes yeah. up on February 3rd and then guess what? Then he's, and it's like, well, if you wake up on February 3rd and you've done all those terrible things. You probably just go kill yourself. And then you wake up again on February 3rd. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> just like we started going down a really is, dark round. We're like, that's like, not what Groundhog Day is. This is like the Blumhouse sequel. <laughs> yeah, <right>. exactly. <laughs> well, I think there was a draft of the... Or like they were obviously exploring different ideas as they were developing at Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis. And um, there was a draft where Rita was also trapped in her own time loop. Oh, interesting. Um, And it was, I know. That like changes everything. I know. (laughs) That's crazy. That's what Russian Doll is. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like, like, so it's, sorry, I'll let you finish. No, go. Uh, But it's Natasha Lyonne like keeps dying and she has to keep reliving. But then she meets someone, and this is in the trailer. So it's, you know, not too much of a spoiler, but she meets someone who's also going through it and they start figuring it out. So every time they both die, they still have their, their, each own consciousness so then they're sorry they start working oh, so through she, it she has a buddy at least yeah so it's it's cool yeah. because like right up until the last episode of the show you're like i'm not sure what is like every time you're kind of like okay i think i get what's going to happen now you're like no that's not quite it so it's it's super watchable by the way like it's people are like oh there's this plot hole and whatever it's like whatever it's a really fun way to spend four hours huh. anyway trisha you were saying Oh, no, I, I actually would love to like go a little bit down that rabbit uh-huh. hole on on what Groundhog Day has changed and influenced, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which is virtually everything in some ways. Um, it's it's so the 80s and the 90s were the era of the high concept movie where it was just like one incredible premise. You know, this is like new filmmaker era. This is like Spielberg and Lucas and, and like all that stuff. Um, and it's the kind of like stranger things is like leaning into that tradition um, of this, you know, high concept movie and groundhog day did an amazing job of helping studios reimagine what that might be. You know, Mm -hmm. the movie that really Mm -hmm. reminds me of is big actually. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Which is this really simple premise, but is explored every Avenue of it. And, uh, 
it's that one simple idea. It's like, what if you woke up and it's like all body right. switch movies or <laughs> something like, like that. Liar, liar, freaky, freaky. Friday. Yeah. 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 Vice it's, versa. Like father, like son, the change up. Like there's so many body switching <laughs> movies. Big is like a one direction body switching movie, but like there's a bunch of movies, like you said, in the eighties that were all like roughly the same premise, like vice versa and like father, like son, I think are the exact same premise. And they came out within like a couple years of each other. And it's like, why did they make another one? I think this, I think the VR game is called like father, like son. Oh just yeah. On a, <laughs> okay. Sure. Totally. The Groundhog's Day sequel VR game. VR game. It's called Groundhog Day. Like Father, like Son. (laughs) (laughs) Michael throws down his headphones and just leaves. Never mind. Like Father, like Son with Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron, everyone's favorite father-son duo from the 80s. No one has seen that movie except me. I had the VHS and watched it a bunch. Not the person I try to avoid Dudley Moore movies at all possible. No, when I said no one, I didn't mean no one at the table. I meant no one has seen that movie but me. (laughs) I hear Dudley and I just think of Harry Potter. Dudders. I I literally pictured that actor from Harry Potter. (laughs) I forget you guys are young. (laughs) Well, it's cool that Groundhog Day has become a verb, essentially, or like a descriptor of what a movie is or can be. So it's like, it's Groundhog Day, but, you know, or like, um, actually, I was reading about how in the military, they use Groundhog Day for like a a tour of duty almost, or the the term Groundhog Day from, you know, from this movie onward is used to describe like a day on base in Afghanistan or something. I, I should look it up more. But that idea of like, there's this sense of relatability, but also what are we experiencing day to day at a micro level um, that Groundhog Day has become synonymous with. And that's a a testament to the way that this movie touched people and and impacted people. And it's cool that that has seeped into not not just pop culture and that kind of thing, but like movies of the same genre that have been inspired. So we uh, we've talked about source code and things like that, but also Edge of Tomorrow, which I think is one of the best examples. Right. Well, it feels like there was almost like a, a waiting period in movies where it's like, well, it can't just like remake Groundhog Day. But now yeah. it's like the floodgates are opened. And I feel like Edge of Tomorrow was was the first one that was like, no, we're, we're going to do the same thing, the same premise, but we're going to recontextualize it as an action movie. And I feel like a lot of things about that movie work really well and others don't as much yeah. in some ways and, and source code was a few years before edge of That's tomorrow true. but source code was a little different source code was almost like a video game because it's like he's in this other consciousness mm-hmm. where edge of tomorrow is more right and, and russian doll are more like no this person is reliving the same thing over and over again i guess actually russian doll it's weird because it starts going like oh things in the world are a little different like mm. that plant was more wilted than it was yesterday so there's a little bit more going on edge of tomorrow i would say is probably the purest groundhog day kind of because one of the things i like about groundhog day is that it's like groundhog day michael groundhog <laughs> day. i know <laughs> i always do that too the, I, I think it's groundhog's day for some reason like, it's really not like the groundhog owns it's not it. his day it's our day where we take him out of his <laughs> cage and look at him we own this day i don't know how i feel about about that <laughs> but one of the things i like about groundhog day is that the it's it's kind of like a time travel movie and it follows the model of time travel that mm-hmm. i like a lot which is just like whatever happened happened and there's you know everything's going to be exactly the same until you change it and then that's going to have mm. a ripple effect right um so it's interesting that russian doll is different but that's also what i liked about edge of tomorrow is that it follows that same model mm-hmm. that was one of my problems with source code was that it didn't seem to have clear rules or, mm-hmm. or like twist at the yeah. end, like barely made sense or yeah. I think it was one of those things where if you're going to do this premise, there's part of the expectation, I guess I have as a viewer is that it's going to be 
done a hundred percent and done with clear rules and like mm. you stick with those rules and like any twist that come out of that makes sense mm-hmm. and i think that's so yeah groundhog's day is like the simple clean groundhog day groundhog Thank day again <laughs> see that's, that's my problem too High five <laughs> groundhog day has the simple clean version of that premise and some of these other kind of iterations of it, it i think you can get into trouble when it's like we're gonna we're gonna explain it or it's gonna be twists on it's gonna get more and more complicated and then it's like well I don't know. This is fun anymore, or is this just getting too convoluted? And yeah. why are we trying so hard? The premise itself already works. Mm-hmm. Edge Ed of Tomorrow has a nice twist on it, which is a very si- simple twist, which is that Emily Blunt had that ability in the past. Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. she lived through this and made it out, and then now she, you know, she realizes Tom Cruise is doing it too, and that's that's simple. You know, there's not too mm-hmm. much going on with that, and, it's and, like, and the mechanism is kind of simple too. It's just right. like alien stuff, right? Like. Aliens right. cause it. Yeah. yeah. Alien yeah. magic. Yeah. It's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the things that was interesting about Edge of Tomorrow, where, you know, through the second act, it is the same day over and over again, and it is following that. But then the third act is like, oh, like we've broken it now. Or like, and, right. and it, it was interesting because suddenly it's like, oh, there's stakes. Like right. now people can die. But there's also, there's like a lack of fun, mm. like a, watching it, you know, once that happened, I was like, oh, now it like matters. But also it's like, oh, well, now it's just kind of a normal movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of the nice things about Groundhog Day is like, once it's over, like it's over. Like he's broken it. You're done. Happy yeah. ending. Right. But I do feel like for the genre, though, like Edge of Tomorrow as an action movie, you do want a point in the action movie where like people can die. And I feel like, yeah, Groundhog Day, you don't need that, but. I understand why they did it for Age of Tomorrow, and I, I liked I liked that change. Yeah, yeah. You don't want it to be pure video game, right? Where you or really you could just make a video game, <laughs> right? Where you just respawn <laughs> like a VR game, perhaps. Right. Exactly. For example, total well, side note on Edge of Tomorrow, I just loved seeing Tom Cruise as a guy who didn't have his like stuff together. Yeah, you know, yes. like, it like, was so it, satisfying. Is, yeah. is it Brendan totally. Gleeson at the beginning who's like the general? He's, he's like he's oh, like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. we think you're going to go into the field, and he's like, <laughs> I don't think uh, I'd be a very good candidate for that. He's like, no. You're going to he's like well i don't know about uh and then you realize like no you don't have a choice and it's like just cool to see tom cruise be like i don't i'm not comfortable with this and then emily blunt just, be... just being so badass oh, and amazing. Gosh, she's awesome yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, I think I, that's where i like, fell in love with her was that movie yeah I doing her crazy like, like spin moves that he has to like try to get through like the field to get to uh-huh. and he just keeps dying when he gets through i was just like yes yes emily blunt yes yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So one of the things that I was... Uh originally going to talk about in the video um, was the Hidden Tools of Comedy by Steve Kaplan, which we've mentioned before, um, has not actually made it into a video yet, although someday probably. True. Um, I'm sure it will. It's fascinating because, you know, he spends a chapter talking about the comedic premise, but then most of what the book is about is about the comedic hero, or and originally we were going to talk about in the video, um, which is that somebody with a a lack of awareness, um, or rather no skills, somebody who doesn't have the skills to deal with something insane that's happening. Um, and, but keeps trying anyway. And that is 
the heart of Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. It's very easily sum up a bowl in that like time capsule of what an idea is. It's you have Phil who absolutely because nobody would an ordinary person who doesn't have any skills whatsoever to grapple with suddenly becoming immortal mm-hmm. and then but is never gives up trying and I think that the middle of Groundhog Day does a really good job of showing that grappling with these incredible stakes uh, or just this incredible problem that you cannot beat. It's insurmountable odds and you cannot beat that. And yet somebody who does it and even when Phil gives up, he cannot beat it like he gets turned into this really dark place where he just wants to get out of it and his life, like get out of it in any way that he can. And yet he's not even allowed that way out. It's this, the problem is so enormous that he can't get out of it. He never stops struggling. He never stops struggling to not just escape it, but deal with it, live with it, whatever. And I, I think it's such a good word for comedy but also for like all of our protagonists is that your protagonists can't, they can't be allowed to give up. It's like the ultimate make it worse, you know, yeah. like it's always yeah. make it worse to your protagonist. And I mean, he kind of makes it worse for himself in a way because he's, he's internally being driven crazy by this yeah. repetitive day. But it, like you say in the video, it's, it's relentless. You know, the, the premise is relentless and it never gives him any kind of reprieve mm-hmm. or a break there's no like mid-movie break where like temporarily he gets to live a few days and then it goes back <laughs> to groundhog's day mm-hmm. just always groundhog day and uh so i think i think it's a good example of like not going easy on your character that's Absolutely. one thing one thing i've had to learn as a writer is just yeah don't go easy on your character put them in the worst place possible they can still have fun while they're in the worst place possible but don't make life easy for them that's boring and and Groundhog Day never makes it easy for him, which is great. Yeah, I kind of categorize it. I, I put it into the category that I keep like inside out in where it's like the the story is also the structure. Like mm-hmm. it's all like on the surface level. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting about Groundhog Day is like you were saying, Alex, that re- the relentless nature of it, where it's like the protagonist needs to change but it can't just be like on this day, like, well, they gave up and now they're going to change. It's mm-hmm. like, it's such a great example of the, like Phil Connors only changes because he has to, yeah. like he is forced to, there's right. no other option but to change. And I think great stories should be that to not just like the protagonist, like doesn't want to. And then like they change their mind one day or like, then the, like the <laughs> yeah. premise changes and like, Oh, this today they like met somebody new and like, Oh, okay. I guess I should change then. It's like, the story design should force the protagonist to change. And I think Groundhog Day is such a great example of that. And the harder the protagonist struggles, the more rewarding that change is for the yes. audience to witness. <clears throat> yes. Because I think some of the movies that aren't satisfying are kind of paint by numbers films I see once in a while where it's like, it's just you know, it's a big Hollywood movie. And it's like, well, here's the part where they need to change. Mm. And you feel like we just arrive at that page count or that beat in the movie. And it's like, oh, because it's, you know, end of the second act, beginning of the third act, it's time for them to have the revelation. And so then they just do it. But I don't know why they're doing it. I yeah. don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. why they're changing the, this. There's nothing in the story making them definitely have to do this now. It's just time for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of my biggest problems with, you know, structure is so important. But if in that structure, you're not earning those major transformative beats, then it does feel very hollow and empty. It's like, yeah. why Like why is this happening right now? I know it has to happen 
in an archetypal story, but there's mm-hmm. no reason for it to be happening. A recent movie I had that with uh, was not the protagonist, but uh, Bad Mom's Christmas of oh. all movies, which <laughs> of course, Brian, I will say, I think Bad Moms is an awesome movie. I love it to death. And I, I thought the sequel was great, too. But <laughs> Christine Baranski plays uh, Mila Kunis's mom in it. And she's just terrible, like completely like awful person, like just hates the daughter and da da da. But she's like kind of sweet to like the grandkids and that kind of thing. So it's a little bit of like, oh, is it just through Mila Kunis's eyes that she's terrible? But you as the audience like, no, she's pretty terrible. And then like at the end of the movie, she's like, you know, I've always loved you. And then like they hug and it's like, wait, what? Like yeah. it just it sort of <laughs> right. felt like you didn't see that character go from like having a change. You just saw her suddenly in a scene go, uh, I'm going to tell you something that for some reason in the past 30 some years, I've never told you, but like, I actually love you <laughs> and I'm just hard on you because I want to whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Like it was just weird. Like I, you know, still a good movie. Check out the bad. Yeah. Movies, guys. <laughs> Whereas in Groundhog Day, like I completely buy that he is a thousand percent a different person by the end, right. which is crazy. Right. You know, yeah. it's, that's really hard to do in 90 minutes, two hours. That's, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's partially because they, they take it to the darkest place. Like he right. kills himself many, many yeah. times. <laughs> it's, it's like almost like overdoing the like death rebirth, yeah. like archetypal yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. It's like he dies and rebirths like a lot of times many times yeah Yeah. i think that the easy version of this sort of what you guys are talking about is having a mentor character that's like you need to change right right you're never gonna learn anything until you change that (laughs) version of a character which like obviously we need that character in some archetypal stories but i think one thing that feels so um profound about groundhog's day Ooh. Oh, <laughs> Groundhog Day, Trisha. Brian one, Trisha zero, Alex no zero, zero. <laughs> high five myself. <laughs> um, one thing that feels so profound about this film is that uh, there is no, it's just Phil. Phil is left entirely to his own mm-hmm. resources. He's left entirely to his own wit, understanding, all of that. And so no one tells him that he needs to change. He he absolutely um like flogs himself until he like comes to that arrival of that transformation that is feels so organic um and it it is entirely self-dependent um one other movie that i think is similar is run lola run actually mm-hmm. oh right mm-hmm. another ground has three movie. loops right yeah it's yeah. three loops but she is so solitary um, in the way that Phil is, which is like there's there no one can understand this, but this one character, right? No one can under come to this place. No one can figure their way out of it. Not, not in, a, in an escape, but in like a um, yeah, just the personal truth that needs to be reached. And it's, I mean, Run Lola Run is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it feels really beautiful, and it feels like you go on that journey with the character and it feels more earned in a way than if you had like Gandalf, no offense to Gandalf <laughs> telling you what you have to change. Yeah, yeah exactly. Phil is not the character going, ah, reliving Groundhog Day. Huh? That happened to me back in odd six. Uh, let me tell you about <laughs> yeah. maybe, in the, maybe in the VR game, uh, yeah. we'll have oh, a wise mentor no. who's lived through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, probably could um, it be Phil Connors senior? Perhaps I want to, I want to shout out real Exhausting. quick. A, uh, a comment on YouTube. I know we don't normally do this, but mm. uh, Chris Napper had a uh, theory that Ned Ryerson is an angel slash demon. 
So okay. the only reason any of this is happening to Phil is because he was a jerk to Ned. <laughs> so, <laughs> on that first day. Yeah, on yeah, that first day. So, so like whatever Phil's going through has nothing to do with any of this. It's only when he like actually is nice to Ned that Ned's like, okay, <laughs> this is the best day of my life, best day of right. your life. Now if, we can If he was on. just nice to Ned on day two, <laughs> right. it would have been over. Bing. Bing. Exactly. Also, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, uh as Sammy Jenkins in Memento. Oh, so yeah. like there's two Whoa. movies where he's sort of like the almost the totem That's in right. someone who's Memento is not someone reliving the same thing, but it feels like it because of <laughs> right. the yeah. direction he's going. You know. Also, while we're here, can we talk about Andy McDowell for a second in this movie? She's so charming. I yeah. love her. Oh, my God. 100 percent love. It just goes without saying that she's amazing. And I feel like she's such a great foil to Phil. Right. She's like. Because I like that she's not just like completely disgusted by Phil. Like she right. has so much empathy that even though Phil is a jerk, she still like feels sorry for him. As sort opposed of has an open to, heart. Yeah. yeah. She's still trying. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's, she's just so far on that side that she has empathy even for a terrible person. But what I like about her too, though, is that she's not this one dimensional, just like mm-hmm. lady who exists to help the guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. like she clearly does have her limits and does have her issues with Phil and makes them clear at different points in the movie, um, you know, whether through slaps or through yeah. <laughs> just the way she reacts to him at the diner sometimes when mm. he's stuffing his face. she's She is disgusted by him. And she has a, is it a Shakespearean quote to yeah. <laughs> say to him right. about, about himself? Yeah. And But at the same time, she's also such a beautifully empathetic person. Mm. And But I it's all so well realized. And I believe that this is a character like a, this is a real person mm-hmm. totally. so yeah I, I just i love seeing especially older movies where sometimes the you know the love interest the female you know supporting character is kind of just there as a right. thing for the guy to want to get right right that she really seems like her own person and a really beautiful person that is not just a typical like i'm just a girl here to be hot Exactly. Yeah, and she, and she can't be won over easily. Like, you know, as you say in the video, Michael, right. like she, she sees through to the heart of Phil. And it's not until Phil actually changes himself in real life, you know, in his own heart that like she is able to see that. Right. And that's a critical part of the screenplay design that he, of course, would be successful at manipulating her to a point. Mm-hmm. Like, of, and so that whole sequence in the movie which is a decent chunk of the second act where he is trying to like manipulate her be on the surface the person that she wants or might fall for like he does ask her what's your ideal guy and and she tells him and he tries to become that thing but only on the surface yeah exactly the fact that he fails so consistently and of course he has to fail a number of times but like he fails so consistently at actually manipulating her you have to have that as part of the movie you have to have that as part of the transformation and i like that when we were working on the video we were talking about his desire is to be with rita um because when we first meet her in the movie she's such a nerd like she's <laughs> <laughs> she's you know standing there and like dancing around yeah the blue kind screen. Of the, in front of the blue screen like yeah. how you know just so um be, like beautifully innocent almost of um, just her the enjoyment of working for a tv station in pennsylvania um she's so optimistic and warm and 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 really does value everybody and even when phil is incredibly rude to her in that first like 15 20 minutes of the movie consistently like she just 
is so yes. She just says yes to everybody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I feel yes about her. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel generally yes. When I think what makes her feel three-dimensional is that she is like optimistic and feels kind of innocent but also isn't naive right like when she's dealing with phil it feels like she's dealt with people like phil before like she's yeah, not just she, like she takes care of herself still right she's not just being used by everybody yeah 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 it's also it's speaking of casting like that's the line that bill murray can walk mm. is you know totally is that like even when he's being a jerk he's being a jerk that's i don't want to say charming that's almost too nice but but he's funny so it, but he doesn't makes he's it okay, not like kinda. right yeah. he's not mean in a way where you're like God, I feel my feelings are hurt. He's mean in a way where you're like, oh, he's just being a smart ass, you know? Right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was I was thinking about uh, just once again, the profundity of this movie. Another kind of life lesson in it is the idea of trying to go after a goal by superficially, you know, presenting a version of yourself that you think, you know, is the way to get that goal. Mm. And how, and it's just in real life too. It's like actual just deeper self-transformation and not really even trying to get that goal anymore mm. usually gets you that goal. Yeah. You know, it just comes to you as opposed to you like putting this fake effort into getting it in a cheap shortcut way. And that's just, you know, as a writer, I can say <laughs> that I feel like I've rushed through drafts or rush, rushed mm. through the process of writing because it's like, well, I want to get to the goal faster and I'll just try to make it look like I know what I'm doing <laughs> as hard as possible. Right. But there's deeper underlying problems that will take deeper longer process to fix and the thing won't come to you unless you do that um so i just think yeah just it's it applies to all parts of life and it's another thing in this freaking bill murray comedy like (laughs) how is there so much wisdom in this movie yeah yeah well and i think that's that's kind of when i look back at myself in like film school like Mm. film school michael i Uh feel like was very much I, i think that's what's kind of appealing about being a director versus being a writer is like i think it's I think it's fun to watch your favorite movies and see like, oh, that's such a cool shot. Like, I want to do a shot like that. Mm. And like, Uh even if you get really good at pulling off that shot, it's easy to forget that like that shot is amazing, not just because of the technical things that went into it, but because of what it signifies in the story. Like it has meaning. It matters right now because of what came before it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's yeah a self-awareness that is critical if you want to actually do things that aren't just technically impressive but emotionally powerful you have to earn certain things yeah yeah absolutely just one thing but like i want to make sure that i say something about this but just that um we talked a little bit about like comedy and the lack of awareness um i think one thing that enables us to relate to phil like you were saying where he's like charming almost so in that book that the hidden tools of comedy they were talking about like appropriate responses and like just like appropriate behavior and Phil's behavior is incredibly inappropriate at all times but the fact that a person like Rita when faced with overwhelming rudeness actually doesn't behave appropriately in response either is what makes this movie funny like when when Phil says something super rude which any one of us would in real life immediately understand as rude and probably just walk away or be like, say something very rude in response and it would quickly devolve into an argument. The people around Phil don't react that way, which enables us, the audience, to chuckle. Like Mm -hmm. if we, Mm -hmm. we would not laugh at Phil at all or like with Phil in those moments if people like actually allowed their feelings to get hurt. It's kind of like a product of the the time time and place and the people he's around because they're all 
such good natured people that are I was gonna say that, yeah they're overly giving benefit of the doubt at all times right and so yeah it allows for a lot more comedy because you know the bed and breakfast owner is assuming <laughs> the best even though he's yeah. saying these weird things to her and I love her <laughs> yeah I I think yeah the comedy comes from that and that's also where the where the premise comes from changing the yeah. character because you surround this character with just good natured people for eternity you know <laughs> it's like eventually they're gonna rub off on him a little. Right. He might actually become a citizen of Punxsutawney uh. in a metaphorical sense. <laughs> and literal at yeah. the end. Yeah. Let's live here. Yeah, it's beautiful. See, I feel like that's at the very end is when, like, as the credits roll, I kind of step back and do, like, a harsh reality mode check on that. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> Are you going to ruin Groundhog Day right well, now? I'm, no, I'm just... I'm imagining <laughs> me in that scenario. I've lived in this place forever. Uh, <laughs> yep. And it's it's now maybe like the only place I know, like, would you want to live here? Or would you yeah. want to escape? Or are you like terrified to leave? Because what is the rest of the, like? Right. There's mm. there's like deeper, like, that's where it gets almost sci-fi. Right. Like, like what happened to his brain for the last, right. like, maybe like, stepping out of Punxsutawney, he'd have like a panic attack now. Right. Like, I would. I feel like I would come <laughs> out of that on February 3rd and be like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm going to stay in here. I'm going to lock myself in the room. Because like, if you live in eternity knowing everything and then suddenly you know nothing, yeah. I feel like you can't, that can't be good for that's an interesting. That's an interesting idea of like a twist at the end of a Groundhog Day type movie. It's like yeah. they get freed and they're like really effed up about right. it. They're right. like, this is not okay. I am only used to being in the same day forever and I'm going to kill myself now. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's the, the non-fable version of it. Yeah. Which right. is why it's nice that it's a fable. Well, and what? Just bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier, Danny Rubin's idea of like, what if someone had an eternity? They obviously would change over an eternity. But the beautiful thing about movies is they are 98 minutes or whatever they are. And we get to experience that self-examination that like, what would I be? Who would I be if I were Phil? And how might I emerge from this two-hour experience having learn something about myself right and that's why we're all here like that's the transformative nature of movies and and so like you know it might have been ten thousand years for phil but fortunately phil is fictional (laughs) 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 and this is like a story that we can all like discuss as theoretical and then come away with something that helps us see ourselves a little bit better in like a mirror kind of way yeah the real world phil connor just has a thousand yard stare for the rest of the time (laughs) yeah Yeah, Grand Hog Day is good. (laughs) Uh, Okay, cool. Well, really quick, why don't we go around and talk about uh, the creative lessons that we're going to take away from Grand Hog Day. Alex, would you like to begin? Sure. So I I think something I realized during this discussion was I kept bringing up Mm sci-fi. And I'm a big sci-fi guy. That's the genre I'm attracted to. It's the genre I want to write and direct in. And I think this movie shows me that you can have a very small, lower budget, Like not even openly sci-fi premise and still explore the philosophical themes I normally associate with sci-fi in a different package. Yeah. And like Groundhog Day is no less profound than, you know, Ex Machina or like more heady sci-fi philosophical movies that I'm really attracted to and want to make things like. So it just it's a good kind of reminder you can put these very deep ideas into really simple stories and they can be maybe even more powerful because they kind of trick the audience into getting them 
because it's a comedy. It's a it's a sweet Bill Murray movie, but you're learning these very profound things about existence. So that's my lesson. I think is you can do big things in small packages. I like yeah. it. Trisha? It's it's a lot of stuff that we've been talking about since we started getting into this, but I, I like I'm going to internalize the lesson of if you have a really big idea, apply it to a very small area. If you have a really big idea, apply it to one person, one town and and make it really accessible. And I think that that like I feel like it would have been really easy for somebody like Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis to get lost in the weeds of like Okay, so he's living forever. He actually is a god. Now he stops World War II or what? You did something, something huge, some huge application of this in, incredibly big idea. But they kept it grounded in such a way that it makes us all able to see ourselves in it. And I think that that's a really important lesson, especially for a high concept movie. Yeah, absolutely. Brian? A lot of what I was going to say was pretty much covered in uh, during the podcast, but I just kept thinking about the idea of of forcing a protagonist into a premise. And I was thinking about Shaun of the Dead and the Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. Like both those protagonists could have easily just decided not to go out <laughs> into, right out of that. into yep. this world. Exactly. Uh, so having someone just trapped in a situation they can't get out of is a lot more interesting. And the fact that it's so limiting, like he's yep. in this little town where there's only so much to do, even for, you know, thousands of years. Yep. Um, I was playing around with an idea of a, of a short film that uh, sort of takes place in like a sort of like a magicalish scenario where a character is like trapped in somewhere. And I'm playing with the idea of like, he really wants this thing to not happen. But I was like, Oh, but what if it's forced? If that makes sense, right. you know, because there's the difference of you need your protagonist to really want something. And that's why the audience cares versus the protagonist literally cannot move forward mm. unless this thing changes period, you yeah. know? And, and it's, that's not to say you should always do that over the other there there's value in both and, mm. you know, but it's just sort of, it's interesting to play with those, those concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Michael. Yeah. I think my lesson is kind of off of what you were saying, Brian, and something we've talked about before is just the, I think my takeaway is that I'm always looking for examples of, you know, the kind of phrases that you encounter in screenwriting books. Like you're, must force your protagonist to change. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's a great sentence. I know what all those <laughs> words mean. Uh, but like, what, is, what does it really mean? What does it look like when that happens? And so I love it when I kind of realize that there are movies that are examples, like super clear examples of what that looks like. And I think Groundhog Day will forever now be my example of like, what does it really look like to force your protagonist to yes. change? Mm-hmm. Like they have no choice but to change Yes. Uh, and I think that's just a super valuable lesson. With the added note of Phil doesn't know that that's how he gets out of it. Right. So, so there is value right. in the fact that he changes um, because he chooses to, not because he finds, a, you know, because the old right. mentor says, well, you got to do this. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Cool. Well, so what's everyone watching this week? Brian? I have a couple little things I want to shout out real quickly before a bigger one. Uh, there's a short film by Stephen Frears with Robert Downey Jr. called The Root V50. It was actually like a Volvo okay. commercial. It's like one of those like things where they get like a real filmmaker to make like a thing. <laughs> um, but it's very Groundhog Day in the sense that like he's looking for something and then he runs into a different Robert Downey Jr. who's like clearly like has like knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the course of the movie, he keeps running into different Robert Downey Juniors until 
a certain point, he starts becoming that version of Robert Downey Whoa. Jr. And then he's interacting with the older version of himself. Oh, you I know? need to watch this. So it's Did just this a fun come out a few years ago? Or? Yeah. Okay, well, I remember ago. this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I just thought it would be worth mentioning now. Um, but in terms of what I've actually watched recently, because I haven't seen that one in a little <laughs> bit. Um, Green Book, I just thought was was lovely. I think, you know, it's it's been, it's up for a bunch of awards and stuff, but I feel like not a lot of people are actually watching it and talking about it and stuff like that. Mm. And there's also like little controversy surrounding it, whatever. But in terms of the movie itself, I just thought it was like a really well-made film, a really interesting story. And um, it's sort of one of the in- interesting example of a movie where the broad strokes are pretty predictable, but the mm. individual moments are just really great. Like you're not, you don't know what to expect from moment to moment. And then uh, there's a theater in LA that is doing 12 months of Kurosawa and I am grossly undereducated in my Kurosawa for being like a film person. Um, So we went and a lot of them are midnight screenings. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to a midnight screening of seven samurai. It's three and a half hours. Yeah. I can't Um, do that anymore. Yeah. But they, they (laughs) did a a matinee of Rashomon, which I had never seen. And it's one of his big ones. And I thought, you know, it's timely because it's not Groundhog Day, but in the same way that (laughs) when people, when there is a movie that's like Groundhog Day, people say, Oh, it's like Groundhog Day. Rashomon is the movie that sort of invented the style of, different narratives that when one person tells a story it's their version of the story but then mm. someone else tells it and you're like mm-hmm. oh now i don't know quite what happened like it's yeah. literally called rashomon style um and it's just a really amazing well shot interesting film that it's just amazing to see what people were doing in 1950 that's yeah. still in 2019 it's like wow <laughs> i'm impressed <laughs> you know yeah yeah, yeah. awesome trisha so i actually want to shout out a podcast that i've been listening to i've been listening to harry potter and the sacred text if you guys are familiar, um, it's uh, like two sort of divinity students, people. Um, I actually, one of them is definitely like a pastor now or like a theologian. The hosts are Vanessa Zoltan and Casper and Takayal. And those they aren't read... real names. <laughs> they <laughs> they sound like Harry Potter yeah. names. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah, uh, they, they read one chapter of the book per week and discuss it through the lens of a specific Um, So like loneliness or commitment are the first two. It's been on, you can listen, it's been going for several years now and I'm just sort of like getting into it and catching up. Um, It's really beautiful um, because Harry Potter, of course, is this like enormous archetypal epic story and the way that they approach it as though it is a sacred text where they like sort of meditate on it. They Hmm. meditate on the loneliness of the characters. They like do spiritual practices as they read it. Um, and they, they view it as a gift. Like they go into it reading, like what is the gift in this text for us, um, has just transformed the way that I look at a lot of things. Uh, and it's, what is the gift like in Groundhog Day? What is the gift in all of these other things? Like I've been thinking about just dwelling on because of the way that they read these texts that I really love, you know, I love Harry Potter books, but also what if we treated everything as the, as that way? Um, it's really lovely. And then the other movie I rewatched that I really like is Novitiate, which was written and directed by Maggie Betts. And if you haven't, it's sort of in the same vein. Say the name again. Novitiate. Yeah. It's about like a young nun that's like essentially pledging or like going through the process of becoming a nun. It's a fascinating and beautiful movie came out in 2017 and it's, it's by this filmmaker that, it's her first movie really. And it's directed in such a way that like, I don't think I've seen something like this. And I wonder if the director has ever seen a movie in some ways, <laughs> but in a, in a beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful, 
fascinating way. It's really well paced and it's really focused also on like the main character who is this young nun. So if you haven't seen Novitiate, go back and check it out and then listen to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text because it's gorgeous. Awesome. Cool. Alex? So I've been hearing a lot about this documentary, Fire, F-I-R-E, on Netflix. (laughs) I finally watched it last night. Oh, yeah. And it it is a delicious train wreck. (laughs) I mean, it's almost... So if you don't know what the premise is, it's basically this this guy, this guy, Billy something. um, He was this kind of millennial mogul doing these kind of scammy millennial credit card mm-hmm. you know, exclusive vip like rich white new yorker millennial kid products <laughs> um yep. and the, the ultimate expression of that was like we're gonna do the biggest like most exclusive most vip like concert with like ja rule as like my co-creator in like this uh, this island that used to be owned by pablo escobar I remember when it, happened. Like, it yeah. was crazy yeah so basically it's just watching their their process of that being such a cluster beep and (laughs) uh and it's just you actually feel dread watching it because as it gets closer to the date when all these people are gonna be like flying on jets to this island and everything's falling apart you're like this like the only way this can end is in the most embarrassing huge disaster possible and then it yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> they, all, they also used yeah. uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score work from like the social networks and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's like there's, everyone, everyone's just like, I love that they just took those those musical cues to I be like, like yep, I've... there's a lot of dread here. <laughs> I feel like I've heard social network music in a lot of things. Yeah. I, look, yeah. Did they make a public domain or something? Because it's been on NPR. I, I hear a lot in... of the music they released yeah. as Creative Commons license. That's uh, cool. So okay, you okay. can use them. Yeah, yeah. Like I've heard it on like Invisibilia and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway, it's it's well used in this and it's really well shot, really well edited. You know, I, I've edited a lot of documentaries and so I can tell when they've been yeah. well edited. This one's <laughs> really well edited. I loved it. So definitely worth a watch if you want to feel some a little bit of dread and a little bit of a little <laughs> bit of gleeful yes. like Schadenfreude. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe I'll do that tonight. Michael. I have been really busy this week, uh, uh-huh. but so I've been slowly continuing to make my way through The Office still in my okay, epic okay. rewatch of The Office. Right. It's still really, really good. And I think it, uh, Trisha, you, you were bringing up, you know, the comedic hero mm. as someone that like tries to do good and has yeah. no skills. And I feel like Michael Scott is just such a perfect example of that, where it's just... <laughs> Because as I've been watching it, I'm like, why do we like him? Like right. He's such a terrible person in so many ways, <laughs> but he's trying so hard to do good that right. you just can't help but love him and mix in some Steve Carell and it's great. Uh, so... That's my continuing update on my <laughs> office. Michael, still is, good. Still Michael good. is still watching The Office. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I watched all of The Office between December and January. I also am not running a YouTube channel. So, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, you more have time. Show time off. on your hands, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about Groundhog Day, and we will see you in the next episode. Hey guys, Michael here. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Make sure to subscribe to Beyond the Screenplay wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter to share any feedback you have, what you want more of, what you want less of, etc. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.